You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Today we have a special guest, and it is my privilege to get to introduce this guy. But before I do, be ready from the tips of your toes to the tips of your fingers to give him a Sun Grove welcome. Because this guy that's standing here, if I could pick anyone, anyone to stand here today, this would be my man. And he knows that. I love and respect this guy on a personal level and on a ministry level for 16 years. He's been traveling around telling his story and inspiring people. Hey, get closer to Jesus. Life's not easy, but hey, you know what? Jesus is the answer, and this is my man. Give it from the bottom of your soul. Let's hear a Sun Grove welcome for my man, Mr. Chris Simney. <laughs> Bring it, brother. I love you, brother. I love you, brother. Love you, brother. <laughs> afterward, 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 afterward. Good morning. So I live in Phoenix, Arizona. What? Represent, right? Are you there? Yeah, right on. So, but I grew up, grew up in Fairfield, right now, the 80, the home of the Joy Belly Factory. That's a cool tour, by the way. It's funny when I speak because when you first listen to my voice, you're thinking, who is this guy? I'm broken. My life has been a struggle, and I never thought I would ever be a speaker, just because of everything that I've been through. So I've been speaking for many years, and still to this day, every time I speak, I'm nervous. And one of the things that follows when I get nervous when I speak is I feel like I have to go pee. And before I speak, I always make sure I go, even if I have to or I don't. So I'm speaking at this church a year and a half ago. It's Mother's Day. And thank the Lord that it was for a dear friend of mine who was a pastor of this church. It's three services. He showed up in the third service with his family to be with his wife in church for Mother's Day, which is awesome. So he's in the audience. And I think I speaking for the church the whole weekend. It's the last service. I just went to the bathroom. Just went. And they're announcing me. And I feel like I have to go pee. But it always goes away. I know it's just nerves. So I get up on stage. They introduce me. They leave stage. And this urge to go pee never goes away. It gets worse. It's my worst fear ever as a speaker to have this happen. It is so bad that I have to pace the stage being all cool like this, whatever, and people are like, oh, wow, he's really into this. No, I'm just trying to ward off pee. <laughs> I have a table like this, nothing to hide behind, so I'm crossed my legs, I do this. I really have to go. My friend Ron is in the back, the pastor of the church, he's watching me. He's like, Anna, he doesn't look so well. I think I'm going to walk up front to make sure he's okay and just sit in the front row. And so as he comes up, I say, I have to go pee. 
It's 450 people. That's 900 eyeballs looking at you. <laughs> and my friend is relieved, <laughs> no pun intended, that that's all it was. He's like, oh, that's okay. I'll just go up and let him go to the bathroom. He'll come back, close the service. It's not a big deal. It's really okay. And as he's walking up the steps, you know, I tell the people, and I'm going, and I pee my pants on stage. Yes. Talk about a church service. Whoa, that was it. And I held it for so long that now I have a puddle. That's all over the stage. There's guitars and musical equipment. And there it is. And my friend Ron is walking on the stage and he's thinking, he's out of here. This is so embarrassing for him. It's a nightmare. As if he's not been through enough already in life. I'm going to kindly let him go. He'll probably leave and jump in his car and drive back home to Phoenix. Really embarrassed. And as he's walking towards me to let me go, the Holy Spirit has a conversation with me. And we start to argue, me and the Holy Spirit. And he tells me this, you're not done. <laughs> I want you to finish your talk. I'm like, I'm soaking wet. This is embarrassing. You are not dead. So when Ron comes over to give me the high five to let me go, I told him that I was going to stay. So here I am, their guest speaker, in pea-laden jeans. And I look up to a crowd who's quiet like you are right now. And I said, shall I go on? And everybody erupted applause, and I say, you guys are sick. <laughs> and so, I finished my talk. And as I'm finishing my talk, you know what I'm doing? I'm stepping over my puddle of pee, walking around and trying to maneuver through it to avoid it. And I love that story because it's embarrassing. Because it was a fear it happened. I'm okay now. If it happens again, I hope it never does. But I've been there before. But God spoke to me in that moment. Because we all have puddles in our lives. Puddles that seem the size of Lake Michigan. Trials that are huge. Problems that seem too big to feel, wonder if they even better or if you can even get through it. This morning, I, I want to look at a miracle that changed my life. And if you have your Bibles, go to the book of John. And when you get to the book of John, go to chapter 5. This is a miracle that Jesus performs. And it changed my life, and I'll tell you why after I read this. 
John 5, verse 1. It says, sometimes later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there's in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in our bank is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. What it was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him the most obvious question he could muster. And the question is this, do you want to get well? And his response, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While well, I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus says to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. And the day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. If you look at the Gospels, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and now John. The first four books of the New Testament, right? These people write similar stories because they hung out together. And each gospel is different the way that it's presented about this life of Jesus that they're proclaiming. It's how they see it. It's their perspective. It's how Jesus moved their souls that compelled them to write what they wrote. And oftentimes they write similar stories. In John 5, this miracle at the pool of Bethesda, only John is the gospel writer that writes about this miracle. And I often wonder, why is it? Why didn't Matthew, Mark, and Luke write about this? It's only John that wrote about the account of Bethesda. And if you know something about John, John calls himself who? The disciple who what? Jesus loved. <laughs> and sometimes you think, well, that's kind of narcissistic, John, to say that about you. But I wonder if out of all the people, his followers, if John got Jesus the most. And he writes about the pool of Bethesda. What I love about this miracle is this. There is a multitude of disabled people lying at the banks of the pool of Bethesda. And they are waiting what are they waiting for? And they're waiting to be healed. They're waiting to be restored. Why? Because their puddles are huge. 
They've been trying to avoid them their whole lives. Why Bethesda? If you follow along in your Bible this morning, I don't know if you noticed that it went from verse 3 to verse 5. There is no verse 4 there. And if you look further to like a commentary of sorts, say, verse 4 is basically a portion where it says, An angel of the Lord would swoop down and stir the waters within the pool of Bethesda, and the first person in the water, after it was stirred, would be the one that would be healed. Can you imagine the tension? So many people there that day. All days. We have the blind, the lame, those who are paralyzed. And they're waiting. And when Jesus enters the scene, it amazes me. Because Jesus had the power to swoop his hand over the whole scene and in one snap heal everybody of their infirmities. And yet he doesn't do that. Instead, he goes up to one individual. Not the masses. He goes up to one And he looks him in the face. And he says, the most obvious question, do you want to get well? When I read this miracle for the first time, I was in a wheelchair. I was at the end of my life. And it frustrated me to read this miracle. I was mad. Why would you ask him such an obvious question? Do you want to get well? Duh. Do something, Jesus. Show up. Help him. He's right there. Show him who you are. When I went to bed in eighth grade one night, I looked just like everybody here. I could probably outrun most of you. I talked right, I looked right. And I went to bed that night. And the next morning when I woke up, I'll never forget that day until I die. I don't know why I still see it like it was yesterday, but it's, it's vivid. It's Easter Sunday that day. It's 1983. I'm old. It's my mom's birthday. It's my stepdad's birthday. Kind of cool, right? You don't forget birthdays in our family. They also have the same anniversary. <laughs> And it's my mom's twin sister's birthday. It's a big day. To this day, I'm not a boarded person. 
And back then I had a water bed. Remember those things? Oh, I loved them. Swat, right? And I heard my mom's footsteps come down the hallway. And I knew she was going to open my bedroom door to wake me up. And sure enough, she did. Happy Easter, Chris. I love you. Happy birthday, Mom. And happy Easter, too. Okay, we have to get a move on. We have to get ready to go to church. Your Easter basket's on your desk. You know what? Just come to, but we'll, we'll be eating breakfast when, when you meet us. We'll be in the, the kitchen, the dining room. Okay. And she closes the door and ambles back down the hallway. And I can still see this morning as I'm lying there in bed. I can still see the particles of dust shimmering in the sunlight above my bedspread. As the sunlight is beaming through the closed blinds. The water's gushing to, to water the back lawn. Birds are perched on their awning outside, chirping away. I knew it was going to be a great morning. Parents' birthdays, aunts' birthdays, it's Easter, Easter egg heads, candy, grandma, grandpa, and cousins. Big day. And the moment I stood to my feet that day, the moment chaos broke loose, and ever since I've been wrestling with brokenness, I woke up with this that you see this morning. I woke up with it in eighth grade. It happened overnight. And the first symptom of it was I woke up with a head that was left over. The movie E.T. was a blockbuster hit. And so I got the nickname by peers of being called E.T. because of the way my neck stuck out. Two and a half months later, I was diagnosed with a rare muscle and nerve disease. And it's called torsal dystonia. And basically being this, it's the twisting of my torso. So as my torso twists, it affects the way that I walk. As my torso twists, it affects my vocal cords. They twisted with it. That's why I speak the way I do. It went from being fairly popular in school to now being a freak of society. And they didn't know much about torsal dystonia when it was diagnosed. It was rare. And the only information they could give me was it could get better or it could get worse. Well, it grew worse. And from my eighth grade year to my senior year of high school, I never saw a better day. Every day it was worse, those five years. It was a living hell. 
And by the time I was a senior in high school, I was confined to a wheelchair. And my mom was starting to play a memorial service. And the music was already set that they would play at memorial service. But God had other plans. And when I read this miracle back then, and I read this question, do you want to get well? I'm like, what? what's that mean? Of course not. And from that moment on, God has worked in my life. Amazing ways. I'm not religious in any sense or form. People are like, oh, oh you're religious. You, you speak about God. Nope, I'm not religious at all. I have a Savior, and his name is Jesus, and he came to bring me life. Religion's about fear and rules and laws. Jesus is about guidance and bringing you to a life that's full of life. So that because you're full, you don't want to do those things that are wrong. But he wants to deal with our puddles. He wants to deal with our pain and our trials. He wants to deal with our bats. So Jesus approaches the scene. He sees the temple at the pool of Bethesda. He's been in this particular for 38 years. That's a long time, right? We don't know if he's 38 years old or if he's 78 years old. But he struggled with this for 38 years of his life. He could have been born with it or not. He could have came up later. And he's sitting there right on the verge of what he thinks will heal him. The pool of Bethesda. And Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? Sir, would I try to drag my lifeless body in? Somebody else gets in front of me and cuts me off. And Jesus commands him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. But that command is up to him to obey it or not obey it. It's a command of power for his soul. Because this miracle has nothing to do with Bethesda, with water. It has everything to do with who Jesus is. Has called this man to be. 
we sang it this morning, I found my life when I laid it down. Upward falling, spirit soaring. And literally touched the sky when my knees hit the ground. Realizing that life isn't about me, it's about what Jesus wants to do in and through my life. I'm not sure what you came here this morning with. But do you have a panel? And how big does it seem? Does it take all your energy to try to avoid it, to walk around it, to step over it? Because you don't want to deal with it? Because it makes you seem blessed or it makes you look ugly? My life is about weakness. I'm not a speaker, but yet this is what I've been doing for the last 16 years. I don't look the part of a speaker. I don't wear bling bling. I'm not rich by any means. But I love Jesus. My life, it's not a curse. <laughs> it's an absolute blessing. Because God has met me in this place. What is your mat this morning? And I wonder... Does that bat paralyze you? Does it cripple you? Jesus wants to meet us when we're broken. That's the gospel message. What I don't get about Christianity, what we believe is it seems like whenever we come to the gospel, we have to be perfect. So we put on these facades. And Jesus loves us when we come to him just as we are. I'm messed up. I struggle. And the amazing thing about this picture of the pool of Bethesda is that he focuses on one individual. He wants to focus on you. So what about your puddles? And as he gets up off his mat... It said that once the man was cured in verse 9, he picked up his mat and walked. And the day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. That makes me laugh. Because the Jewish leaders were always trying to find a way to trip Jesus up. 
And that's why I think Jesus did a lot of his miracles on the Sabbath day, just to rile their feathers. Because they got picky about it. The law forbids you to carry your man. Who was this man? I, I don't know his name. My third fell in the plate this morning is this. Are you bitter? Or will you be better? And can you be healed even though your life is still broken? I'm a senior in high school at this point. And I'm with my youth group. We're out of dinner at a family home. I'm in a wheelchair. At this point, people have to dress me every day, bathe me every day. Put me in the bed at night and get me up out of the morning every day. At this point, the only form of independence I have is to hold a fork or a spoon to feed myself, but I shake it and tremor. And that night, I'm sitting at the table with a bunch of people. I can't even feed myself with a fork or a spoon. It keeps flying out of my hands. Because my circulation at that point was poor. And I couldn't grip things like that anymore. And the brakes on my wheelchair was set. (laughs) And I pushed back from the table furious. Wanting to give up. And my wheelchair almost flipped over, but thank goodness it fell back on all four wheels. My youth pastor came over. It wheeled me outside. He let me cry for a while. And then he said this, I'd never forget it. I'm going to share something with you, and you're going to be mad at me when you hear it. Chris, you, you have a choice to be bitter, or you have a choice to be better. I hate seeing you like this. I remember you well before the disability came. They had seen her life a waste away. But are you going to be bitter or are you going to be better? The two words are similar in the way that they're spelled. The second letter is the only difference between the two. One has the letter I as the second letter. The other one, the letter E. And to be bitter is that I sin because it's all about you. 
And I was furious with him. He was right. I was really mad at him. How dare he say that to me? He doesn't know my pain. He hasn't lived it. But he was right. And I turned my life back over to the Lord. And I laid my life down as the song went this morning. And I came to the realization of the truth that I no longer want to be a slave to fear because I know that I am a child of God. But I have puddles. I have things in my life that I want to avoid. I have things in my life that I want to step over and not acknowledge. I have things in my life that may be insecure, make me look weak. I have puddles. And I realized that God wanted those puddles. Because he wanted to use them. And as the man goes away, in verse 14, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. That's an interesting statement. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The question being, so was he disabled because he's a sinner? No, because we would all be disabled if that was the case. I think what Jesus was saying was, you found me. You have new life. You no longer have to be a slave to sin. Because I get to redeem your weaknesses for my glory. Do you trust me with it? And so I told the Lord, all right, Lord, if I'm going to be in a wheelchair the rest of my life, so be it. That's wrong. <laughs> I could walk. <laughs> I don't know why. But after high school, I enrolled at Solano Community College in Fairfield. Took a couple classes. Got involved in swimming at the college, water therapy. I didn't think it would help me at all. I just wanted to be with other disabled people like me. And I started out in the water and they put a life jacket on me, thank the Lord for life vests. And for the first six months, I floated out my back. And two people would stretch my arms and my legs, and that was my workout for six months. 
After about six months, I began to move my arms little by little to propel through the water. And so I started to elapse. And it took me forever to get to one side to the other side, but I still didn't. And then I got to the point where I felt pretty comfortable with my life technology because I realized nothing was going to happen. And then after about a year or so, as I'm comfortable with what I'm doing, I'm getting better with going faster, and my teacher jumps in. She swims up to me. I don't know what she's doing. Like, get away from me, whatever. Who are you? And I'm doing the backstroke, and she swims up to me, and she goes, Hey, today's the day. All excited. <laughs> today's the day for what? Today's the day I'm going to take the life jacket off you and teach you to swim like you killed when you were little. <laughs> Today is not that day. She goes, come on, Chris. I want to teach you to swim like you killed when you were little. But I'm so comfortable with how I'm going right now. That's scary. I know it is, but you'll be okay. She took the life jacket off me and taught me to swim again. And then they started to stand me up in the water and put my arms out in front of me and they began to, to move me like this and I began to take steps in the water. And later I learned that swimming is the best exercise we all can do because you're not fighting against gravity. I got involved in swimming just to be with people like me. In two and a half years from just from swimming, I started to walk. Unstable at first. I worked up at Hume Lake for seven summers, trying to get my footing and my independence. I went to college. I have a master's degree from Azusa Pacific. I never thought I would be a speaker. I'm driving a car, stay off the road, to be okay. But parking in the blue spaces, oh, that's great. I love it. You know, everywhere I go, I can't help but tell about Jesus' love. I'm not serving him because I'm walking. I chose to serve him when I was still in the wheelchair. I didn't know what my life would be like. I certainly never thought I would be a speaker. I, I can't even speak. You know what I tell people? I'm healed. <laughs> and I love their reactions on their faces. What? I'm healed. You're not healed. Look at you. You know, I tell them, <laughs> you're not healed either. Look at you.
because our trials, your trials, are a gift. They're not a curse. Puzzles are difficult. Because they come in various shapes and forms. They don't judge anybody. I don't know their puddles. I don't know their pain. My favorite verse in scripture, one of them, is Proverbs 27, 19. It says his water reflects the face. So man's heart will reflect the man. So instead of going around your puddle or trying to avoid it or stepping over it to get rid of it, trying to dismiss it from your life, how about just pause and look into it? And the more you look into that trial, the more you will see the reflection of Jesus stare back up at you. Because he's making us, each one of us, who it is that he created us to be. I'm not perfect. But I'm no longer a slave to fear either. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the pool of Bethesda. And Lord, how you asked a simple question, do you want to get well? And Lord, maybe you're asking that same question to some of us this morning. Because we entered this building with our puddles. We don't know quite what to do with them. God, I pray that we would find our lives the moment that we begin to lay them down at your feet. And that, Lord, you would use our weaknesses and our puddles for your glory. Help us, Lord, to see your work in our lives in the midst of them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.